You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. Well, thank you very much for that, and thank you um, for having me. Thank you for turning up. Amen. Um, I also want to um, thank pastors Keith and Janet for, um, for believing in me and trusting in me, um, encouraging me, and pastors Elle and Christina as well um, for, for risking 25 minutes of the evening service. <laughs> Um, look, I'm really praying and believing that you're going to get something out of tonight. I don't know where, um, you know, where you are at with God, whether or not you're a seasoned believer and follower of Jesus, and um, or whether or not you are inquiring and you you were maybe brought along by someone and. Um, you know, you might not yet know what we're all singing about. Um, I pray that this would speak to you. Um, I don't know which part of this message would speak to you. Um, there's there's going to be a bit in here, and um, I'm going to give it a red-hot go. We're dealing with a big topic, and and my prayer is that um, that one one at least one part of this um, speaks to you, or at least gets you thinking enough to go away from here thinking, what was he talking about? And maybe doing some digging around and coming back to church and, or maybe even saying a prayer in, at night on your own. Um, I'm dealing with the topic of, uh, is Jesus the only way? And, and there, are, there are a lot of different elements to this topic. Like there's the, what about people in other religions? That's an important aspect of this. But I'm going to be focusing on the moral, uh, I guess, argument or criticism. That is that there are good people, or at least apparently good people. And Christianity says that, um, that they might not make it into eternal life. And that for some people is, is difficult to grasp. And so this is, this is an apologetically angled message. Um, and, I, and I pray that it would equip you and speak to you. I'm going to read from a passage and then I'm going to pray. A passage that we're going to be camping at for this evening is Mark 10, 17 to 27. Mark 10, 17 to 27. As he, this is talking about Jesus, um, this, so this comes from the Gospel of Mark. This is the, the, one of the earliest gospel records that we have of Jesus. This text is probably 1950-odd years old, um, and it contains a really significant little episode within the life of Jesus, and I think it's got a lot to say to this topic. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honour your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. I've kept all of these things. Um, since I was a boy, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. 
At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Um, A few years ago, two, three years ago, I got a really strange call from my brother. Um, He rang me up and he said, Andrew, uh, after the pleasant, you know, the the phone pleasantries were over, he said, Andrew, um, I'm thinking about becoming an atheist. And before I do, I've got some questions. And I thought, um, I thought I'd ask you if I can send them your way in case you can convince me otherwise. So we arranged to meet up at a pub out at Cardiff, as you do for these kinds of conversations. And, and thus began the interrogation of my faith. Um, my brother was very respectful. Now, a little bit of backstory. My brother's a very intelligent person. He's one of the smartest people I know. Um, he's a very analytical person, so he's got lots of questions. He's an engineer, a bit of an entrepreneur, hasn't been in church for a very long time, but has an awareness of God and Christianity. We were brought up in church up until around about um, when I was six, so he would have been 10, and then we didn't attend church regularly. But I started attending church regularly when I was 15. Um, that I had a... Um, an encounter with God that I couldn't explain, went to church, um, never looked back. After school, I went to Sydney, I went to Bible college, I did a Bachelor of Theology, and then if I hadn't got enough, I I enrolled in a Master's, and I did a Master's, and then during that, my college actually asked me and offered me a job to work there, and so for the last eight years, I've taught um, Christian theology and Christian ethics. So I'm known as the religious person of the family, right? So hence why he called me up. And um, now my brother had a number of problems with Christianity. Now he gave me the option to, to not. He, he said, look, I'm going to be honest with you, right? So um, if, if, if you don't want to hear this, that's okay. Like you don't have to, but I'm going to be honest with you. And I was like, oh, okay, well... You know, I'm a big person, I can handle it, and uh, maybe I'll give, give as good as I get. So, um, But he had a number of problems with Christianity. For instance, he had a problem with, um, with um, the idea that we ask other people to pray for us. He said, Andrew, I don't get that, right? Like, couldn't God just hear the one person? Like, does he need extra convincing or... Um, or the, the big thing for him is a large part of his perspective of Christianity is from my mother. And he said, Andrew, do you know that mum prays to get car park spaces? <laughs> like, seriously, like, what is with that? <laughs> As if God's got better things to do, and God should have better things to do, we might say, right? There's a lot of, that, a lot of good that God could do in this world. Um, you know, getting me a car park is probably at the lower end of his priority list. Um, but that wasn't, I'm not talking about that today. And, and those are good questions and there are answers to that. And there are other questions he had, problem of evil. Pastor Keith's going to answer all of your questions about the problem of evil next time. Uh, <laughs> so, um, but there was a really awkward moment that took place that was um, really serious. Um, he looked at me and said, Andrew, do you really believe that I'm going to go to hell for all eternity? Now... Before I could respond to that, he went further, put it in context and turned that question into a criticism of Christianity. He said, Andrew, 
I have a really high standard of morality for my life. I tell the truth, I live by integrity, um, I'm a faithful husband, I only make friends with people who live like this. He said, some of the worst people I know are Christians. And, and you're saying to me that I'm going to go to hell. Yeah, this is, this is important, right? This, is, this was put honestly and seriously. And um, platitudes and cliches wouldn't do, right? Now, now, we went back and forward that day and we both walked away challenged. No one converted each other. But, but um, I walked away and I, that part was one of the most difficult parts, right? And I've done some thinking about it and reflected on it. And I think this passage speaks into this kind of a criticism of Christianity from no less than the founder of Christianity the founder of our faith, Jesus himself. So let, let me walk through this with you. A man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the man that ran up to Jesus was, um, we know from parallel passages, he was, he was rich, he was young, and he was a ruler. So we, so we know of him as a rich, young ruler. Um, he had a lot going for him in that time. He, because he was rich... Um, he would have, everyone would have thought that he had the favour of God, especially being young and rich. So he had a head start on the, answering the question, am I good enough for eternal life? He had a head start on everybody else. And yet he comes to Jesus. Um, perhaps in our day and age, you might say he's the startup CEO who's um, gained attention and success leading an innovative organisation. He's got everything going for him. Um, so what drives an otherwise wealthy, powerful, popular, successful and talented person to run up to Jesus, to fall on their knees and to ask him whether or not he's good enough for eternal life? I think he was smart enough to reflect and his reflection yielded doubts. Right? He was doubting. So he ran up to Jesus, knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, I suppose the first thing that we can note here is this whole question begins around, around um, a standard for entry into eternal life. I guess the first assumption here is that eternal life is not a right. Um, it's, it's not something that God owes us. Um, so that's kind of the prerequisite, that there is a standard. The, eternal life, God isn't just giving it away cheaply, right? It's, it's, it has a standard. Now, if I say something like eternal life has, an, a, standard, has a standard, you might think, um, well, you know, that's great that this place called heaven, there's this standard um, you know, there's an there's entry requirement that I have to meet in order to, to access this place. But if I say to you, not that heaven has a standard, but that eternal life has a standard, or otherwise I, I say it like this, life has a standard. That, that might bring it a little bit more down to earth. Life has a standard. We know of standards, right? We know of, of prerequisites that, or qualifications that we must meet. Um, not 
sometimes these standards are explicit, right? You, you have standards over your life. If you go and work for an employer, there's policies and procedures. Um, living in Australia, you must um, abide by Australian law. Some standards are implicit. They are cultural or social. They're standards of things like um, social standards, reputation, whether or not you fit the value system of being cool enough or beautiful enough or whether or not you have enough friends um, liking your photos or whether or not your profile gets enough attention or whatever it is, there are standards that, that are over us. Some of them are over us because there's an authority. Others we create and we impose them upon each other. But we all know what it's like to live with standards. Um, but Jesus' first move is to, and, and we might say he sets the tone of the discussion. He, 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 quit, he quickly corrects his use of the word good. The, the man ran up to him and said, good teacher. And, and Jesus says um, that, he says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So he said, okay, this is the topic. We're talking about morality. We're talking about goodness and badness. All right, you're looking to me as one that you think is good, but you're going to have to look a bit higher, right? You, you, you haven't looked high enough. It's not fully, it's not ordinarily contained in a human person. Now, we know at the end of the story that Jesus, that there's a double meaning to this, right? But nonetheless, it's really important to get the idea that goodness is a transcendent ideal. And if we're going to have this ideal, we ought to keep it good, right? We shouldn't compromise of it on it. We should keep it good. So goodness is a transcendent thing, right? But Jesus doesn't say it exists in heaven as this special substance. It's this new kind of molecule and atom. It's this thing that's up there. He says, God is good, which means good is personal. Good has a will. And think about this for a moment. What would goodness will? What would it want? Now, if it wanted anything less than goodness, well, that wouldn't be good, right? So goodness wills itself. Goodness wills its own standard. Goodness judges all by itself. But Jesus brings things back to earth pretty quickly. He says to him, why do you call... Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, bring things back to earth. Because we could get stuck in a philosophical conversation about God for a very long time. Let's bring back things back down to earth. Why do, you know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honour your father and mother. In so doing, Jesus starts with the Jewish law. He starts with the known. He goes, okay, we're talking about God, that's good, but let me bring it back to you. Are you good? And are you good? Let's talk about your goodness. And let's talk about your goodness in relationship to the known standards over your life. Now, anyone who's an astute Bible scholar would know that Jesus is quoting from the Ten Commandments, but... He's not quoting from the first four. The first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. That's a very theological one. The second one is, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything on heaven above or on earth below, and you shall not worship it. The third is, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. 
And the fourth is remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Now, if Jesus was just interested in this man's religious observances, he could have just quoted from the first four. The first four about how we, you might say, understand and treat God, but he doesn't. A conversation about eternal life begins with the topic. This is his angle. Jesus will talk about God and, and theology and truth elsewhere, but the, the, it begins on the topic of morality, and this is his angle. And so Jesus quotes from the last six, which is all about the way that we treat one another. Counterintuitively, Jesus talks not about how we treat how, how we treat God, he asks the question, how do you treat other people? This is about your goodness. How do you treat other people? Have you hurt people? Have you defrauded people? Have you lied to people? Have you disrespected those that you should respect? And it goes on. And he said to him, teacher, I have kept all these things since I was a boy. This is where the conversation gets really deep, right? Because he basically says, I know the standard and I know where I stand in relationship to this standard. But he knew this already, right? Yep. He knew this before he ran up to Jesus and fell at his knees and said to him, am I good enough? So he's not doubting his actions before the law. He wasn't a bad person. So what's he doubting? He's doubting whether or not this standard is the final word on whether or not we're good enough. He's doubting the sufficiency of the standard to articulate everything that can be said about whether or not we are good. This, I think, is his insight, and I think he's correct in it. This is where the conversation goes to a deeper level. Everybody is stuck on the, on the law because that's what they know, but things have just moved to a whole nother level. Now they know each other, and they know that they've gone there, yeah. right? Now, he's correct, I think, because this law, though good, so I'm not saying it's bad, it's good, and, but the standard is put in negative terms. Don't steal, don't lie, don't do this. And that means that if you abide by this, you're not going to be a bad person, or at least a really bad person, right? But this doesn't articulate everything about goodness. It just carves off what's really bad. Now, if we define goodness in relationship to what's really bad, well, depending on who we're looking at, we could think that we're doing pretty good, right? Yeah. And we do this all the time. Yeah. We look at other people and we draw kind of a line and we're like, those people over there, they're really bad people. Yeah. But, but I'm on this side, aren't I doing great? Um, you know, the question is not... Who are you in comparison to badness. How do you compare to badness? It's how you compare to goodness, yeah. right? The question is, is um, you know, if you compare yourself to Hitler, we're all saints, right? <laughs> but if you compare yourself to Mother Teresa, well, we're all sinners. If you compare yourself to a drug dealer, we're saints. 
If you compare yourself to the doctor that gives up a comfortable and wealthy career in the West to volunteer in an aid organisation in a refugee camp in Lebanon, well, I know, if I, I can speak for myself, I'm not that good, right? The, the insight in this, with this man is that he didn't go to the town drunk and ask him, do you think I'm good enough for heaven? He found someone that he saw as better than himself. He ran to him and said, do you think I'm good enough? And Jesus goes, okay, we're going there, right? We're going there. So Jesus says to him, looking at him, and he looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. Jesus looked at him, loved him, and out of love said, okay, I'm going to tell you the truth. The truth of the matter is you're not good enough. The, this is the man came wanting truth and Jesus loves him and says, okay, I'm going to give it to you. All right, one thing you lack. Now, the one thing that he said he lacked, he said ended up was, was three things, right? Sell everything you have, give to the poor, and then come follow me. Sell everything you have, give to the poor, then come follow me. The rich young ruler had so much, but he lacked goodness in a profound way. He lacked it in a profound way. Maybe we could say that he lived a life for himself. Maybe we, I can put it this way. Think about it this way. The rich young ruler lived in a society in first century Judea where there was gross amounts of poverty. The Jewish people were conquered and oppressed and taxed people by the Roman Empire. There were non-religious people all around exploiting them. This rich young ruler would have had family members who would have been in gross poverty. Some of them maybe even would have sold themselves into slavery just so they could eat another day. If, if one way to conceptualise goodness is to compare it to badness, another way to conceptualise goodness is to compare it to unmet human need. And to ask yourself this question, in a world of this much poverty, of this much human suffering, of this much human slavery, this much human exploitation, are you good? In light of your abilities and your talent and your good fortune and all that you have been given, are you good? This is the hard word, right? We want to talk about goodness. You see, it could go further. What have you done with the life that you've been given? It's a gift. At the end of your life, do you leave this world better than which you received it at your birth? In response to the bad things that are done to you, do you respond in kind or do you respond in kindness? Do you do more good to others than others do to you? If life is a gift, eternal life is, your, is, is a responsibility. 
It's you eternally being able to impact others for good or for ill. But at these words, he was saddened and he went away grieving. For he was one who owned much property. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it would be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. The man walked away not just because he owned a lot, but because we might say it owned him. It owned the way that he viewed himself, his world, and everybody else. He valued his possessions more than he valued the impact he could have on suffering and needy people. You could imagine it like this. Jesus saying, look, come follow me, right? Be an itinerant minister, be my disciple. I've got you covered, right? We're not going to live a luxurious life, but you know what? It's going to be one great ride and, and you'll be fed and you're going to have an adventure. But, but, in, but once, once you do this, what are you going to do with all your stuff now that you're not going to use it? And, and if you really want to devote yourself to a new kind of way, you would want to give it up if you have no need for it. Not just to give it up, sell it to rich people or, or whatever. You would want to do whatever you can with that to further the ends to which you have p- devoted your life. His value system, the value system of the day had worked so well for him. He was at the top, right? But that same value system devalues so many. There's only a few people at the top. The question is, could he give it up? Now, we know Jesus is going that step further to value systems because he says it's hard for, for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's hard for them because, because they're the ones that have profited from so much. But Jesus is talking about a new kingdom. God's work is a new work. It's a new kingdom. Jesus is saying God is in the business of starting a new way of being human, a new human community, a new value system that actually values people. And he couldn't give it up. And he walked away. The band can come up. He walked away. Now, we might say there's an insight into this as well. And the insight is he realised he didn't have enough. He was so much a product of this world, he realised he didn't have enough to change himself. He was a product of this world, wanting another world, but realising he didn't have it in him to give up this world. He didn't. But, but his problem was he forgot the last part of what Jesus said. Jesus said, come follow me. He could have fell to his knees again and said, you know what, I don't have it in me to be good enough. What do you do with someone like that? Can you help me? But he didn't. That's the tragedy of the story. This story is a tragedy. He could have stayed, but he didn't. Ultimately, the Christian message is one in which we believe in goodness. We believe that it's not worth compromising. We believe that eternal life is, is a treasure. We believe that, that ultimately the reason why all of this matters 
Remember, it's all about how, how he was treating people. That was the angle of that conversation. Is because ultimately, why does it matter to God, we might say? Why? Why does it matter to God? I, it doesn't matter to me if a lizard eats a bug in the outback. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to me if a stray cat kills a feral mouse out in the wilderness. It doesn't bother to me. That doesn't matter to me. It matters to me if a fox kills my chicken. It matters to me if somebody harms my son. Why? Because they are valuable to me. Why does God spend so much time giving laws about how we treat one another? Because we are valuable to Him. The high ideal about morality is pinned to the high value that God places on humanity. Christians aren't the one that that want to downplay moral agency. We're the ones that recognise that goodness is too valuable. People are too valuable. We're the ones that realise that we're not good enough. Moral agency has no hope without God's intervention. It requires a work of God. And this is what ultimately, this is where ultimately Jesus ends. With us, it is impossible, but with God, it is possible, right? It has to be a work of God. The healing of this earth can only be a work of God. Christians are the ones who put their hands up and say, we're not good enough, but we believe in you, Jesus, that you are. And we believe that in you is goodness and that you can take us there. But we're putting everything on you because we can't take ourselves there. And we're not going to 